Hello, this is Michael Beller from The Athletic. Before beginning this episode of The Athletic's Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we wanted to note that these interviews took place before the COVID-19 outbreak forced MLB to delay the start of the 2020 season. We've edited out parts of the interviews that were rendered moot and believe you will still find them useful as you prepare for your fantasy drafts and auctions. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. everyone and welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host for this show, Michael Beller. And on this show, we are going to be doing something a little bit special, running through the American League Central in our series of division by division position battles. We start in the Central with the Cleveland Indians, and for that, we bring in our Indians beat writer, Zach Mizell. Zach, how you doing today? Doing well, Michael. How are you? I am also doing well. Thanks for uh, joining me. This is uh, one of the divisions that uh, really catches my eye. Indians, White Sox, Twins, all uh, competitive teams, fun teams, exciting teams. Feels to me like any of them can win the division and also teams that have a whole lot of fantasy value. When we look at the Indians, the first position battle that jumps out to me is at the back end of the rotation. How is that rotation battle shaking out this spring? Yeah, it's it's weird because it's... For a little bit, it seemed like it was going to be whoever could just stand upright was going to win a spot. Um, you had Clevenger had knee surgery, then Carlos Carrasco had a, a strain in his hip, Aaron Savali had soreness in his groin, and all of a sudden it seemed like a team that has built its foundation on starting pitching depth was lacking in that area. I think Adam Plutko is, is pretty safe um, because I think he's out of options. He's, he's a veteran. He's, I think it's just the sensible pick where, where he'll be in there. Um, the other two, it's interesting because, you know, with Plesak and Savali, it's, it's hard to predict what guys do going from year one to year two. Are they going to take a step forward? Are they going to have a sophomore slump? You know, what adjustments can they make when hitters have seen them before? So it's it's tough to predict. The the only thing I could say now is just because of the fact that Aaron Savali is a little behind the others, just because he had a, a minor injury, mm. you know, he might not be built up as much. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if he was eventually the pick to, to return to AAA. And you don't think one of these guys ends up in the bullpen? You think it's back to AAA to keep him stretched out? Yeah, that's it's been a popular question for Terry Francona this spring. And, and he said, you know, it's... It, it maybe that's something you do later in the season if you had to make this decision in August, but because they need starting pitching depth and you're never going to rely on just the same five guys all year, um, you always want to have someone reliable you can turn to at AAA if you need to. All right, well, let's take a look at the the bats now. Um, they could arrange their outfield and, and DH spots in a number of ways, and I'm sure Francona will deploy these guys in uh, as many various ways as he possibly can throughout the season. We know that Oscar Mercado, Franmil Reyes, Domingo Santana, those guys are, you know, for the most part, everyday players. Maybe a day off here, a day off there, but basically everyday players. Beyond that, is there anyone on this team uh, that you think logs significant enough uh, plate appearances to be fantasy relevant, or is it just going to be too much of a revolving door? Yeah, it's it's interesting. This has been, <laughs> the Indians have needed outfielders <laughs> and like everyday outfielders for I don't know, yeah. a decade, yeah, two decades. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, the one guy though who would really intrigue me and 
Like, it, 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 there's such a wide spectrum for fantasy value here with, with Jordan Luplo because he absolutely destroyed lefties last season. His OPS was almost 1,200. Um, he hit 15 home runs, and it's, you know, he was playing less than half the time. And the Indians want to know if he can hit righties. And if he can hit righties, then you've got an everyday outfielder who should be above average at the plate. Um, and that's, that's really valuable. But they don't know until until it happens. And spring training isn't always the best way to gauge these things. So in his minor league track record says he's been pretty good against righties. Um, it's just they're trying to decide, is that the route we want to go? Do we want to platoon him with Jake Bowers or Bradley Zimmer or Delano DeShields? And all these names I'm listing are not very inspiring mm-hmm. and probably don't really matter to, to fantasy players this year. So... Uh, but Luplo is an interesting one because if he gets regular playing time, there's at least the potential that he can be a pretty productive hitter. Is that something we see? You think Francona gives him the leash to try to prove that he can hit righties well enough to be an everyday guy? So what's funny is I didn't think that would happen at the start of spring training. And again, like you don't just take spring training stats and say, all right, well, this guy hit 450 this spring, so this is going to be our answer in left field. However, I do think you can play your way out of some playing time and some opportunities. And the way it's trending, I do wonder if, like, Jake Bowers has looked abysmal this spring, and he made a bunch of swing changes over the offseason. So, you know, it might benefit them to just send him to AAA and let him play every day until he's ready to bring those changes to the majors. Um, It's not like Greg Allen or Bradley Zimmer or uh, Delano DeShields have have done anything to make you say, man, we have to get this bat in the lineup. Right. And those guys all have their own faults. So the, the, the wild card here is that, is that Tyler Naquin is going to return from knee surgery at some point, probably May, maybe early June. And he becomes an easy platoon partner for Luplo at that point. All right, that's Zach Mizell. Check him out at The Athletic Cleveland, also on Twitter, at Zach Mizell. That's Zach with a K-M-E-I-S-E-L. Zach, thanks for taking the time with us today. You got it, Michael. Thanks. Moving right along in the American League Central, our next stop is the Chicago White Sox. For the White Sox, bring on our beat reporter for the Southsiders in Chicago, James Fegan. We're going to ask you uh, to weigh in on some position battles happening with the White Sox, things that you have been able to see with your own eyes this spring up close and personal. The first one, the big one for this team is at second base. Uh, This is a big one in real life, a big one in the fantasy world as well, because everyone is excited about what Nick Madrigal might be able to bring to a team that is getting a whole lot of buzz, and rightfully so. Of course, Larry Garcia there as well, going to have some sort of role with this team. How excited should we be about Nick Madrigal in the fantasy world, understanding that playing time is really the lifeblood for everything? I think you should probably be cautious because this is a guy who... When he does come up, he's probably someone who's going to get blended uh, into the back of the lineup. It seems like, certainly at this point in his career, uh, someone that Renneria would bat ninth and try to take a lot of pressure off of and probably ask to bunt a lot, and not a lot, but more than any other player, and and someone who will probably put up, you know, you can expect him to hit for average. Obviously, the big question about his profile is whether that's going to be something like 280 or 330. Uh, perennially if it's the latter obviously it's a lot more valuable in terms of on base uh, percentage because he's going to be down below he's probably not going to be racking up the counting stats in like some major way 
uh, the way he would be maybe three, four years from now when he's a leadoff guy or, or something like that. So the fact that I think he could struggle for a little bit, like all rookies tend to do, and like he's done at, at new levels at times in the minors, and that he's going to have this small role and he's going to be stagnated, I don't see him necessarily being an exciting guy this year. Uh, obviously, he's probably he's their guy who's their um, their their second baseman of the future um, with not really any competitors. So from a, a long term, from like a dynasty standpoint, I think he'd be intriguing from that point to to lock him a guy who's going to have very regular playing time going forward. But I don't see him being like a a big offensive impact guy the way like Luis Roberts going to be a fellow rookie who's going to be a starter eventually for the White Sox. All right, well, you mentioned Robert, so actually I want to ask you about him a little bit. And you talk about this uh, this team and this lineup, and we know uh, how loaded it feels like it is coming into the year. What else it feels like is that it's pretty set in the top half, right? You've got Tim Anderson, Yuan Moncada, Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal, Edwin Encarnacion, Eloy Jimenez. It feels like that is a pretty solid, uh, unbreakable one through six for this team. So is Robert going to have to do his work once he is in this lineup from the bottom third of the order, or is there any hope of him getting more toward the top or the middle of the order where we would like to see him from a fantasy perspective? That would probably come in the second half of the season if it comes, because Renneria has already spoken very plainly that he doesn't want to put the pressure of him being in top uh, part of the order on him. Um, and because of the way the lineup is, he really doesn't need to. So I, I wouldn't really expect him to hit much higher than seventh. And frankly, I would kind of expect him to have an adjustment uh, this Major League side pitching because he's been so aggressive and gotten away with it for his entire uh, you know minor league career, which you know obviously is very long but very successful. Um, so yeah, I, I would expect that to be kind of a problem. He's not going to be held back for opening day. He's going to start with the team and all that, and he's going to be the everyday center fielder, uh, barring any kind of injury. But, yeah, I, I think that'll be an issue with him as well. Um, I definitely haven't seen any slowdown of his crazy aggression with stolen bases, if that's any uh, you know consolation. But Definitely he, welcome. He's not going to be somebody who uh, you know forces his way to the leadoff spot after a hot month. I mean, if, if Tim Anderson, who won the batting title last year and was hitting seventh a lot of last season, was any indication, Renery is actually pretty slow to um, immediately react to a hot start by a youngster and say, like, all right, you're going to have a lot more responsibility now. All right, one more thing I wanted to ask you about. This one uh, surprised me a little bit. You and I were going back and forth talking about potential battles for this team. And you mentioned the split at catcher. And it surprised me because obviously this team made a big splash in signing Yasmani Grandal. He is regularly being drafted as the number three catcher off boards uh, in fantasy leagues. So you got JT Real Muto. Gary Sanchez, and then Grandal appears uh, in there a little bit behind those guys, but comfortably ahead of uh, the uh, catcher on the other side of Chicago, Wilson Contreras, and a catcher in his own division, Mitch Garver. Uh, So Grandal there, as the number three catcher, he slots into uh, most likely the cleanup spot in this order, 4-5, somewhere in there when he does hit, but is there... Any concern that he could be less than what we expect from, uh, you know, basically an everyday catcher? Obviously, no catcher is going to play 162, but is there any concern that he plays less than what a standard starting catcher does play? I wouldn't say so. I, I would think if the efforts to rest him or take him off his legs or get McCann in more often, I think would take the form of Grandal still DHing. Uh, obviously, they have Encarnacion in there, but Encarnacion is 37 years old, and I think. I don't think it'll be only one time all season that I'll report Encarnacion is taking a day or two off because he's got back soreness or something like that. And that'll be a source of kind of regular stuff for Grandal to float in DH. 
along with the fact that they just don't want to completely bury McCann. McCann is very liked by the pitching staff. McCann had a you know, solid offensive year, however unsustainable you might find it to be. And McCann spent all offseason working on his framing. So I think he's as good of a backup as there is in the majors. Obviously, when you have an elite top five catcher, you're not going to really um, try to work him in too much. And I think if you like owned McCann last year and thought great about it, you definitely should be feeling bad now. Um, because the White Sox both have him buried by one of the best catches in the game. And as much as maybe McCann would welcome it, they're not really going to be looking to deal him at the deadline unless they, their season actually goes in the tank. If that does happen, hey, that could be a boon, but that, that's a lot to kind of hope for uh, in March because uh, that's not something to pay off for a while, and it's very iffy. A whole lot of fantasy value on this team. If you still have drafts and auctions ahead of you, you are going to want to get invested in this Chicago White Sox offense. James Fegan's going to be lucky enough to get to watch this team all season long up close. You can follow him on Twitter at JRFegan, F-E-G-A-N. And, of course, be sure to check out all his work at The Athletic Chicago, The Athletic MLB. James, thanks again for taking the time with us today. Moving right along in the AL Central, we move on now to... The Minnesota Twins is going to be a fun division. The Twins are a big part of that, a big, fun fantasy team. To talk Twins, we bring on one of our two Twins beat writers, Aaron Gleeman. Aaron, thanks for taking the time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So this is a fun team, right? I mean, uh, hit a lot of homers last year, expected to hit a lot of homers this year. Not a whole lot of uh, position battle intrigue with the lineup, but we do have some in the rotation at the back end. We know what this team looks like one through four, but that fifth starter still up for grabs. How do things seem to be shaking themselves out over there? It, it seemed like it was going to be a four-person battle for the for the fifth spot, like you said, with Jolie's Chessine being the veteran guy, and then they had three prospects, Lewis Thorpe, Randy Dobnik and Devin Smeltzer, all of whom got a little bit of time in the second half with the Twins and, and all looked pretty decent. Uh, but their first round of cuts included Lewis Thorpe. And there's some indication that they just, uh, he had taken 10 days away from the team for undisclosed personal reasons. Uh, and that's uh indication that's somewhat tied to whatever that was, or that they're a little unhappy with some aspect of his not even on-field performance. Uh, the, the weird thing about that is, He's definitely the highest upside guy in that group, uh, short-term and definitely long-term. And so you remove him from that, and it's Chassin, who we've seen before. He's been a solid pitcher, but in terms of fantasy, uh, not a huge strikeout guy or anything. So I'm sort of thinking that they're going to mix and match uh, the two rookies, Dobnik and Smeltzer, which is uh, even less ideal for fantasy purposes. Mm -hmm. But among those two, I think I would butt on Smeltzer, but again, more of a strike-throwing, ground-ball-getting guy than a strikeout guy. Yeah, for this, uh, there's no shortage of fantasy options in this rotation, uh, but uh, maybe you're not going to be reaching down to the fifth starter. It is something that'll be interesting to watch, though, how this develops early on in the season. Uh, flipping it over to the uh, to the bats, uh, we you know we, like I said, there's not going to be a ton of pure position battle competition uh, the rest of the spring or early on in the season, uh, but there is some interesting interesting excuse me things happening. With the lineup one through nine, uh, this was a, a great lineup last year. A very productive team. It should be again this year. And just looking at roster resource, you got Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson cleaning up, Eddie Rosario and his big bat in the five hole, and then six through nine, you've got Mitch Garver, Luis Arias, Miguel Sano hitting eighth. Um, Miguel Sano is the interesting one here because we know what the power potential is for him. We know what the the run production potential is for him. But if he's buried hitting eighth all season. 
uh, that high ceiling uh, in the fantasy world might not fully come to pass. Is there any way that he plays his way into the middle of the order, or is this something where he's going to have to uh, make do in the bottom third? I mean, I think there's a pretty decent chance he hits fifth or sixth a lot of the time, but then that would just mean Garver's batting seventh or eighth, or Rosario is dropped. I mean, they had, like you said, you know, they hit the most home runs of all time. They had one of the deepest lineups I've ever seen, and then they added Josh Donaldson. So we all, we talked to Rocco Baldelli a little bit about the lineup, and he's very hesitant to actually give details. But Donaldson seems to think that he's going to bat second versus lefties and clean up versus righties. Uh, which probably means you're looking at Kepler as your leadoff guy against righties, but then possibly uh, him dropping lower in the lineup against lefties, which would mean uh, Polanco maybe in the leadoff spot or Garver in the leadoff spot uh, against lefties. Uh, there aren't a lot of like moving parts. I mean, I think it's going to be the nine regulars plus essentially Marwin Gonzalez uh, as the 10th guy. But yeah, I mean, there's no way to build this lineup where somebody really, really good is not batting seventh and eighth. It's crazy, but I guess that's uh, it's a luxury for the Twins, not necessarily so for uh, for fantasy owners. You're going to have to figure this out and navigate these waters um, all season long. Uh, one more thing I want to ask you about before we uh, before we let you go here: uh, Taylor Rogers, uh, a guy who came on really strong for this team last season and is now being drafted uh, as a top ten fantasy closer this season uh, and with good reason I mean he was excellent for them last year and all indications point to uh, that being a true breakout and something that he can carry through uh, to this season let's just say for the sake of conversation that things go off the rails for him early on we see it happen with closers year after year after year if things go poorly for him early uh, should we expect Rocco Baldelli to have a quick trigger or are they going to give him plenty of runway uh, to make sure that he gets things right because he is their best reliever I definitely think he'll get a lot of patience. I mean, barring some sort of injury or where it's just clear, you know, the velocity drops and he's just not right. Uh, I think he's probably one of the more secure closers in the American League. Uh, if they were to remove him uh, short term, even from the, the closer spot, Sergio Romo would be the easiest guy to, to jump in there and fill in just because he has so much experience. They also have Tyler Clippard, who has some closing experience. But I think if it were to happen in June and July, if a, if a shift were need to be made, I think someone like Tyler Duffy or maybe Trevor May are more of a kind of traditional closer in terms of stuff and, you know, projectability. Uh, but, I mean, the, the, the bullpen is not as good as the lineup, but just in terms of quality depth, uh, this is, I think, probably one of the more underrated groups in the American League. Yeah, going to be a fun team yet again this year and what's shaping up to be a very competitive division. That's Aaron Gleeman on the Twins. Uh, check him out all over the Athletic Minnesota and the Athletic MLB, of course, on Twitter as well, at Aaron Gleeman, G-L-E-E-M-A-N. Aaron, thanks again for taking the time. Yep, anytime. Thanks for having me. Next up in our tour through the American League Central is the Kansas City Royals, and to tackle the Royals, we bring on our Royals beat writer, Alec Lewis. Alec, how you doing today? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here. Um, getting close, so I, I'm, I'm excited. A lot of interesting things going on. Yeah, a lot of interesting things. Certainly still uh, a couple of weeks here left in spring training, but uh, fantasy baseball drafts are really starting to pick up. That's why we wanted to do these position battle podcasts. And uh, for the Royals, it starts at first base. Not a whole lot of intrigue uh, in the top of this order. We know Whit Merrifield, Adalberto Mondesi, Jorge Soler, Hunter Dozier, Alex Gordon, Sal Perez, these guys locked in. But at first base, we've got a battle between a couple of Ryans. Ryan O'Hearn on one side, Ryan McBroom on the other. How is that battle shaking out to your eyes? 
You know, it's interesting. I guess we call these position battles. This, it feels like almost just a position option type thing. It's like I think both of these guys, you mentioned it, Ryan O'Hearn, a 26-year-old left-hander. Um, Ryan McBroom's a 27-year-old right-hander. Both have obviously flashed power, their first baseman, um, which makes sense. But neither has, has proven a long stretch of consistency um, at the major league level. I mean, Ryan O'Hearn is the guy who has obviously earned a, almost two years, three three years of at-bats at the big league level. And last season um, had a 195 average. His hard hit rate is something that um, that the Royals kind of have, have hung their hat on. And I think I, they believe with his hard, hard hit rate, which was in the 78 percentile last season, that there's room for him to progress. And Mike Matheny, the Royals' new manager, has spoken highly of Ryan O'Hearn since he stepped into the job. I mean, the day he, he accepted the job and, and was introduced, October 31st, he talked about how he thought a guy like Ryan O'Hearn could progress um, in the, at the winter meetings. He talked about Ryan O'Hearn. He's continued through throughout spring training. And Ryan has, has, has performed thus far. He, he worked all offseason in Texas alongside Hunter Dozier, who's a close friend of his, who obviously took a step last year. So I think the Royals are optimistic. On the other hand, Ryan McBroom, as I mentioned, he's 27-year-old right-hander um, who the Royals acquired from the Yankees last September. He didn't get many at-bats uh, at the big league level. I think it was around 80, 78 or so, and he did not flash the power I think the Royals have, have shown, have believed in. But this spring, he's, he's been really impressive. I mean, I know um, Alex Gordon even has spoken about how he has been impressed by the strides that he's seen from Ryan McBroom from last um, last fall to this spring. So as far as how the position battle is shaking out, I think Ryan O'Hearn being 26, having familiarity with the organization and obviously batting left-handed, he will probably um, earn the majority of, of time there. But I think with Ryan McBroom's um, strides, the Rose aren't going to hesitate in a platoon situation to play him. I think, again, with how Mike Matheny has spoken about Ryan O'Hearn, it makes sense that um, he earns the majority of time there. There's a lot, lot of room there. I, I think, again, as I mentioned at the top, it's more of an option rather than than battle. I think the Royals are confident that both these guys have the ability to take the next step, and it will be interesting to see if they can do that. Does this have the feel of being a pure platoon with O'Hearn on the long side and McBroom on the short, or is there a sense that one of them, O'Hearn, it sounds like, could run away with it and be the you know more than just two thirds, one third sort of share? Yeah, I think I think it does ha- have have the feel that that Ryan O'Hearn will probably um, take the majority of the load at first base, but I think again, um, as, as sample size progresses, the Royals might feel as if. Um, it needs to be more of kind of an equal platoon. The one thing I will say is Ryan O'Hearn has, I mentioned the offseason work, and even going back to the end of last season, he's dedicated a lot of time to um, opening up the opposite field for him. Uh, obviously, teams have, have, have shifted him to, to the right side the majority of, of his career, and specifically last season, which I think is why the hard hit rate was up, but the average – was down, so I think if he can open up that opposite field, which he has shown, um, the Royals will, will likely play him uh, in the majority of the load at first base. 
All right, first four spots in the rotation are spoken for, but we've still got a battle here for the number five spot in the pitching rotation. And, you know, fifth starters um, are generally fringe guys in fantasy leagues, uh, unless we're talking about a really deep rotation. There are a few rotations where all five guys are going to be uh, fantasy relevant. Here in Kansas City, it is still more of a fringe situation, but still one worth keeping an eye on. So how is that fifth starter race breaking down? Yeah, no, it's interesting. It, it, obviously, as you mentioned, it is usually a French situation, but with the Royals and where they're at, and there's some interesting players here. I mean, there's a guy, Jorge Lopez, um, who has struggled in, in starting spots over the past couple of seasons, but his stuff, if you if you read, you know, Saris and, and I've read the rankings that he has listed on starting pitchers, I mean, Jorge Lopez kind of ranks toward the top of the Royals' potential um, starters in terms of his command and, and stuff. So he's an interesting option. Um, the other reason I think this is, while yes, it's a friend situation is, is interesting is because the Royals have a lot of young starting pitching prospects that are rising the ranks. I mean, I, there's a guy, Brady Singer, who, who pitched at Florida, won a college world series and the Royals believe really highly in him. Obviously, if you look at Keith Ball's rankings on the athletics, um, Brady Singer is not probably as high as, as a Daniel Lynch or a Jackson Coar, but he could be the first starting pitching prospect that the Royals call up this season. And I think if, if he does, I mean, he's a guy who's shown kind of premier competitiveness. That's the quality in him that I think the Royals are, are most confident in. He, he's incredibly mature. As I mentioned, he pitched in the College World Series, so has a lot of experience. So while, yes, it's a fringe spot, if, if a guy is similar to Brady Singer were to get called up, I think, um, and I think it could definitely happen at some point this year, he could provide an impact that, that might be a bit unforeseen, um, along with Jackson Coar, who's probably second behind Singer in terms of, of starting pros- starting pitching prospects most ready. Those are guys to look for, I think, down the line throughout the season. All right, that's Alec Lewis. You can catch him at The Athletic. Uh, KC also on Twitter at Alec, A-L-E-C underscore Lewis. Alec, thanks again for taking the time with us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. We will wrap things up in the AL Central with the Detroit Tigers. For that, we bring on our Tigers beat writer, Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Hey, doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've got uh, the Tigers last, which uh, I guess you don't want to read too much into it, but part of that has to do with the fact that there's not a whole lot of fantasy juice on this team. One guy who everyone's excited about and with good reason is Matthew Boyd, but you look up and down this roster, there's not a ton to get excited about from a fantasy perspective. The thing that does have me a little bit excited, at least in this effort here, is that we do have something fun to talk about in the way of positional battles and not traditionally. It all centers around Cameron Mabin. So first, let's talk about Cameron Mabin in the field. Is he going to be able to hold down the everyday job in right, or is he going to be forced into a platoon situation? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of the big questions in Tigers camp right now. I mean, they added Cameron Mabin at the start of spring training. Uh, look, they needed an experienced outfielder. They needed a more reliable bat. Uh, they think they found a, a good deal in Cameron Mabin, who's actually in his, his third stint with the Tigers, coming off a big year with the Yankees where he only he only had 269 plate appearances, but he revamped his swing, went with the launch angle approach, so he hit 11 home runs, which was a career high, and really only half a season's worth of, of uh, at-bats. 
He had a career best, uh, 127 weighted runs created plus. I mean, he had a good offensive year, really showed more power potential than he ever has in his career. Uh, so when you plug him on a team like the Tigers, you would think, okay, maybe this guy's going to be your everyday right fielder, right? Uh, the problem is with this team and its rebuild, they're, they're going to want to give some at-bats to other guys in the outfield. So you have Kristen Stewart entering his, uh, his second year. Um, in left field, and then you have Victor Reyes coming off a, a season in which he hit 300, even if some of the peripherals weren't great. Um, in right field, I think Maben is is gonna, you know, he'll probably start opening day in right field, and he's probably a guy who's gonna be in the lineup almost every day. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if there's some platooning just because the Tigers still want a guy like Reyes to get at bats. Uh, but a lot of it will probably come down to performance at, at the same time. How much opportunity does Reyes have to force his way into an everyday gig? Yeah, I mean, the Tigers uh, the, the Tigers really like Victor Reyes. He was a guy they took in the Rule 5 draft two years ago, and in 2018, he really struggled. He just wasn't ready for, um, you know, to face Major League pitching. But last year, he got a little more opportunity, especially in the second half of the season. He, he played pretty well. He's kind of a textbook you know, debate between, uh, you know, traditional stats and metrics. Here's a guy who hit 304, who spent some time in the leadoff role, but he doesn't walk a lot, only 4.8% of the time last year. He, he His profile contains very little power, only three homers last year. He still had a good season, but, it, you know, a lot of the projections aren't favorable. He had a really high BABIP last season. Uh, the Tigers point to, well, he started hitting more line drives, right? So maybe some of that's more sustainable. He has bulked up. He's a little bigger. They think there's um, a little bit more power to come out of Reyes. So look, this is, uh, you know, long story short, this is a guy they've invested in and they would like to get him playing time. Uh, but, but at the same time, he's going to have to earn it. And that's a little harder to do when you add Cameron Maven into the mix. Yeah, you talk about Maven and you talk about hitting in the leadoff spot. Figure that Maven profiles well for that spot he spent a lot of time there in his career in all of his various stops even in uh, what is his age 33 season still has uh, pretty good speed stole nine bases in 269 plate appearances last year the season before that 10 swipes in 384 plate appearances when Maven is out there can we count on him being the leadoff man for this team uh, you know, he's hit leadoff in some spring training games, and I would I would expect him to probably hold down that leadoff spot one opening day. Um, from there, we'll see. I mean, with with his power and with the lack of really other power hitters the Tigers have, you, you could almost see him slotting in in the middle of the order, too. Problem is, the one thing the Tigers have really lacked is, is anyone who profiles as a leadoff hitter. So right now, the addition of Cameron Mabin, I think probably jolts him to that leadoff spot. Um, he's he's obviously hit in the one or two spot before in Detroit um, last year. They did a, a lot of you know a lot of shuffling. They tried Jacoby Jones there, the center fielder, um, a, a guy who's got some talent, got some speed, but he just strikes out a lot, doesn't get on base a lot. Um, they put Nico Goodrum in there a little bit, and and you know he's okay. He's got a decent profile. Uh, for that spot, but probably not as good as Maben. They tried Reyes there a good amount. I think I think Reyes was in the leadoff spot for 59 games and actually had a 341 base percentage when he was hitting leadoff. Uh, but right now, I think the addition of Maben, I think he's the guy who makes the most sense to start the season in that slot, which is good. You look at what he did last year in only 269 plate appearances, 
you put him at the top of the order, you know, if, if he gets, we'll see how much he ends up playing, but if this is a guy who gets 600 plate appearances, especially with his revamped swing, it's it's kind of interesting to, to think about what his numbers might look like. Yeah, all that, put that together, definitely one of the reasons why Mabin is one of the Tigers that fantasy owners are talking about this spring. One more thing we want to check in on here, third base, Heimer Candelario and Dowell Lugo. Uh, is anyone separating himself from the other in this, and will the winner have enough juice to be fantasy relevant, or is this someone who is going to be mostly ignored for fantasy purposes? Yeah, it's it's one of those battles that's been a little bit weird. I mean, there's been very little separation so far in spring training. I, I would say neither player has separated himself so far in games. They've both struggled, to be honest. Uh, I still think it's Jamer Candelario's job to lose a little bit, or maybe it's Awell Lugo's job to win. I mean, Candelario's a guy who hit 19 home runs in 2018, who was worth, you know, 2.5 wins above replacement. But really, he slumped in the second half of that 18 season, and he struggled all 2019, even going back down to the minor leagues. Uh, he's hitting about 200 over really his last year and a half in the majors. So this is kind of his last chance to prove that he can be uh, a long-term piece in this rebuild. But he's still the guy who has some pop in the bat, who has some upside. Dawel Lugo only walks about 2.8% of the time. He doesn't have a lot of pop. I think the only way he wins that job is if the Tigers see Candelario struggling so much they think, you know, we just can't throw this guy out there or maybe he even needs to start back in AAA, something like that. Uh, I, I don't think even if Lugo plays every day, he'd be a good fantasy option. Now, Candelario, the Tigers still think there's a lot of potential, and you look at what he can do power-wise. If he wins the job, and if he starts good, yeah, maybe he could he could become a fantasy option. Um, and just real quick, a guy who's in the mix that the Tigers have, uh, Isaac Paredes, one of their, their top position prospects. He's only about 21 years old. He'll start the year in AAA. If Candelario doesn't get it together, we could see Paredes playing third base in the majors by the end of the year. All right, that's Cody Stavenhagen. You can check him out on The Athletic Detroit and, of course, on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen, S-T-A-V-E-N-H-A-G-E-N. Cody, thanks again for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, anytime. That'll do it for the AL Central edition of our Position Battle miniseries here on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks again to all of our AL Central beat writers for appearing. And please do be sure to give them a follow on Twitter. Next up in this series, the NL East. Until then, take care of yourselves. This has been Michael Beller. Thanks for listening.